Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. Today we're going to go a little backwards. We're actually going to start at the end of the verse. Um, Actually, we should read the blessing to start. Okay. Um, Shoot, I don't have it in front of me. I do. Okay. Should I do it? Yeah, do it. This is, I'm reading from the uh, the JPS. I think this is the JPS. It doesn't even say it's the Jewish Study Bible, which I'm going to assume is the JPS. Safe assumption. Yep. Uh, The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, say to them, the Lord bless you and protect you, the Lord deal kindly and graciously with you, the Lord bestow his favor upon you and grant you peace, and thus they shall link my name with the people of Israel, and I will bless them. All right, perfect. Yeah. So we're in the... um the last line of the actual blessing, um, which I know that the version you just read was slightly different, but often it's the Lord lift up his countenance to Mm -hmm. you and show you peace or grant you peace. Um, So we're actually going to start a little bit at the end with grant you peace. And then we're going to come back to the start of that line. We just thought it'd be... It works well to do it that way this morning, and hopefully you'll see why. Yeah, sometimes the end is the holds the key. Right. I remember when um, Rabbi Alan Ullman was he teaches the Ten Commandments backwards. Nice. Because the the best entry for Americans or consumers or first worlders or whatever whatever we are, the best entry is to talk about coveting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And coveting is then like sort of the gateway or the doorway upon which you can finally arrive at. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Nice. So, right? when Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, starting at the end is... Uh, yeah. Well, I... So, I looked at the word grant. We'll grant you peace. Because I was curious about that. Because um, there's different words that can be used here. And I was curious about what was used. And the mm-hmm. word here was sum. Um, which isn't really like gift. I thought it might be a gift. He will gift you peace or give you peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sum, which means to put, lay, place, designate, make, or determine, or establish. And the first time this word is used is when God puts Adam in the garden, which I thought was really interesting. This is the one we talked about that has the root in Shem with name. It's the... Yes. But it's voweled differently. Yep. Yeah. So it's... To me, seeing that it's how God puts Adam in the um, in the garden, just had this sense of it's not something I'm giving to you so much as this is something I'm putting on you. It's a part of your identity. It's a part of what's essential to you. Yeah, that's how. Does that make sense? It, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The the. Um... Because when I was reading, getting ready, I picked up a little bit on it, and what what felt so different to me was what you just pointed out: the difference between the uh, the different right. Give has the range of set. Yeah, it's it's not it's not wrong, but 
we think about gift differently than we think about like something being set on you, like yeah. bestowed upon you or yeah. like a, like a, you're being mantled or you're being clothed or covered or whatever. Yeah. A gift feels like something I can hold in my hands that's tangible. And this feels more like um, something that is being established on me or yeah. in me. Um, and it was inter- the second use of that is with Cain, which mm. we talked about last week. When God marks Cain, that word mark is this word sum. Right. Um, and so I just thought those two things were really interesting as we consider what it means for God to grant us this peace. Is is it a gift yeah. that we hold um, that's temporary or is it something that is with us, established in us? And I think... I think that that's more what's going on here is God is establishing peace in in them. Yeah, yeah. Gift. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if this is going around the around it too much, <laughs> but it um, it doesn't feel give versus and grant versus like set or appoint or establish or put. The, the, the gift and grant the language that's usually used here feels weak to me and it feels very dependent on on humanity on the one who it's being bestowed upon to and I and I think that's accurate I think um, there are all manner of good generous things that God is giving us and we need to uh, we need to engage them we need to like it's like getting a bike and never riding it. Like we've got a, we've got a pedal. We've got to put it into action. But it's far more like I'm going to set you in peace and in wholeness. Mm-hmm. That's where you, you want to know where you are. That's where you are. Right. And that's not like this unopened box we're walking around with. Yeah. Well, and I even think about using the word establish here, which is a is a legitimate translation for this. What are the, what's the word of the words again that you had? Uh, put. Yep. Lay. Place. Designate, make, determine, establish. There were more. I just, at some point you have to. <laughs> you have to pick. You have to pick. Um, I think for me thinking about it as establish, I can think about a building. Like you, when you go downtown and you see some of these old buildings or an old church that says established in 1862 or mm. whatever year it was. Um, Thinking about it being established that as they are getting prepared to go into the promised land and take, become a nation, God is establishing peace in them um, in the way that a building is established. But the building itself is less important than the church that is in the building or the the company that is in the building. Um, that marker of established in such and such a date just lets us know how long this has been around. Sure. Um, but it's the foundation of mm. something. And so this is a foundation of peace mm. is what God is putting on them. Mm. At least that's one way of reading it. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Well, uh, where were you going next? I was going to go to Shalom. Oh. Or, uh, do you have something else to say real quick? Yeah. yeah I, uh, so the the word before it, Laka. Oh, yeah. So it's it was it so the uh, uh, same lecha and then it's uh, shalom, but that lecha um, is for you. Yeah. So right, whatever's being set, 
we'll talk, we're going to, we're going to talk about that, right? The shalom, mm-hmm. that's been the wholeness, that, that thing that's being set. Um, it's being set. You are, you are being set for, <laughs> for you. Uh, what it, I mean, it's for you. Yeah. Do you have more to say about that? I feel like you have. Um, I, I, th- I think it's complicated in, in my life. I suppose I'll just speak for me. The, the things being for me are, are, are complex because there's a way in which I'm really grateful there are things for me. There's a way in which I have to recognize, I recognize almost immediately I'm confronted with my privilege or my <clears throat> things I have. And, um, and I don't need more things, but this isn't one of those things. Right. The thing that's being set for me, has, it, it's, it's angling my heart or it's forming or it's setting my heart and it has the ability to to change me to be more, um, to be more Christ-like, to be more, um, to live out my image of God more in my life. And so, right, the first thing that happens in me is where in a life where I'm very aware of my, of all of the stuff I have and I hear, oh, I'm being set for you. I'm like, I don't, I already have so much, but this isn't that stuff. Yeah. This isn't a third TV. This isn't a 10th Bible. Um, this isn't a new, a new, a new iPhone. Yeah. Uh, this is something that's eternal and sacred and lasting. And I wonder, um, I wonder how much stuff, good eternal stuff we, we, those of us who, uh, we turn down because of our, our muchness, the stuff we have and that we become so full of material things that, you know, tantalize our senses, things that are temporary that we skip out on the, we, we don't have enough, no, enough room in our jar or our hands to hold the, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, every Sunday we do the, the, I thought we do the priestly blessing mm-hmm. for people to go out and we talk about, I invite people to hold their hands out, um, in a you know, open handed in a posture of receiving but it's not just a posture of receiving. We also we then go from it's a posture of receiving to also a posture of letting go because in order to receive, you have to let go of things, right? Right. So that's, I think, maybe part of, you know, recognizing this part of it. And then it's not only a posture of receiving and of letting go, but also a posture you're offering it, mm-hmm. right? It's generous. So it's yeah. receptive, it's, it's releasing, and it is, um, it is generosity. Yeah. Well, I think... By the time we get to the end of this episode, I think we'll see a little more clearly why this isn't about material possession. Um, but beyond that, it's also if a whole society is all living out this blessing and all the things, it's, it is for us, for me as an individual, but it is for us as a community as well. And that can't help but spread to those around us. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to imagine a world where everyone actually lived this out. But if it was done, um, 
everyone would benefit from it. Right. Um, and then it would no longer be who has the bigger TV or the nicer thing. It would just, we would be able to coexist. And I, and by the way, I do think that eventually this will happen. Like this is um, what we see, the image that we see in Revelation. Hmm. Yeah. That of, um, well, I don't want to be a spoiler. So let's, let's go to Shalom. Well, hold on. I want to, wait. Okay. Can I go back to something you said? Sure. You talked about like the building and the business and the churches and the established and how, the thing that's most important is the thing that occurs in there, right? Not mm-hmm. not the building. Right. The building houses the business of of the community, of the family, of the people. Right. And we get it confused sometimes. Sometimes we get it really, really, yeah. really twisted. But as you were talking about imagining, I was like, man, what a, like, imagine all of these communities of God's people who were, as they left, as they went into their lives from worship in a, in some sort of a building, um, they went out knowing that God was f- setting them in this thing we're going to talk about, setting them in peace, setting them in wholeness, sell- setting them in goodness. And the, the relief of anxiety about having to earn, get, hustle, to, to be beloved, to be welcomed, to be loved, to be image bearers, you know, that whole thing. It get, it, 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 over time, it begins to get released. And then we go out, um, we go out as givers, not as getters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like you were talking about, right? It's, it's the business of what happens in the space that matters. Right, right. I could keep going. But yeah. Let's... Okay. So now Shalom. So the word um, that gets translated here is peace, and I will grant you peace. Um, peace is only a part of what this is, um, and I think... Do you mean what we mean by peace isn't what they mean by peace? I... Or what we mean by peace is part um, of what shalom means? Yeah, so I think a little bit of both. I mean, at least for me, when I hear the word peace, I think of um, no fighting. Mm-hmm. Like... Peace between my children means they're not arguing with each other. Or uh, when we talk about peace in the Middle East, we want to see no more fighting. Um, We tend to think of it in in a war type way. That you have two sides or more that are against each other. Mm -hmm. And peace would mean a a cessation of fighting. Sure. Ceasefire, armistice, whatever sort of like a treaty. Yeah. And that's not wrong. This is not the full picture of what peace is, but also when it comes to shalom and this word here in Hebrew, that type of peace is only a small part of what shalom means. Mm. Um, And so um, shalom is sometimes translated as uh, wellness, welfare, welfare. I can't remember. There's a, there's several others, but um, the root word for shalom is shalom, and that word does mean peace. That three letter root kind of does mean peace, or to make peace, or to be safe. Um, so at its root, it does have a lot in common with maybe the militaristic view of peace that we have, or the, the arguing and safety of our children. Um, there's peace. They are they are both safe. Both sides are safe. Um, they are at peace. Um, we're not fighting. We're not arguing, um, etc. But shalom is is a derivative of that root 
um, usually the derivatives of roots have hold a little bit more. They're trying to say something slightly different or mm. a more expanded version of what the root is in some kind of way. Otherwise, they would just use the root. Right. So um, the fact that it's a different word should make us wonder, well, what more is there to this mm. than what was in the root? Um, and so while the, the foundation of this word shalom is more similar to peace, um, I think we can add a layer to it or multiple layers. Um, and it can be translated as, uh, like I said before, wholeness, welfare. Oh, the one I forgot was complete. Another one is complete. Oh, yeah. Um, so some examples to help us see this. Uh, the first time shalom is used is in Genesis fifteen fifteen, And this is when God is showing Abram the future promise. Um, this is kind of the second time the covenant with Abram is um, it's reiterated. It's like 10 years in. Hmm. Abram is doubting because he still doesn't have a kid. And God appears to him in a vision and gives him this vision of what the future will look like, that your descendants will inhabit this land, but first they're going to spend 400 years in bondage in Egypt. Um, so immediately after, it's kind of in the midst of 400 years of bondage, we're told, as for you, Abram, you will go to your fathers in Shalom. You will be buried at a good ripe age. It's usually translated as peace. And while that works in one way, I mean, we think of like... Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I want to die peacefully. Yeah. Um, who doesn't want to die peacefully? Um, I think complete is probably a better word here. Um, because complete carries the meaning of a full life, one well lived. Um, complete to me seems to grasp the meaning here that Abram is being shown what the future holds for his descendants. But in the middle of that, God is almost saying, but your job will be complete. Hmm. Like your part in this will be complete and you will go to your fathers having completed your part in this story. Um, I don't know. Do you think I'm crazy with that? Or no, do you think, no. In okay. fact, um, <clears throat> I think um, one of my questions is when is something like, when is Abram at peace? Right. And he's, He's not at peace in Genesis 12, mm -hmm. although he's not at war. <laughs> right. He's not at peace in um, Genesis 13 with Lot yep. and the, the back and forth. Uh, later on, Genesis 14, he'll actually go to war mm -hmm. to rescue Lot. He's still not at peace. Genesis 15, they don't have the child. It's 10, 15, 12. It's some, a while later, he's still not at peace. Um, they concoct a scheme upon which they're going to help God's thing come true mm -hmm. with Hagar and then Ishmael, and he's still not at peace. Uh, Isaac shows up finally. Um, he's still not at peace. Right. Uh, Isaac, Moriah, he's like, my question is when is peace, when is Shalom reality for Abram and Sarai? Yeah. Like when does it, when does it happen? And as I'm thinking about, I'm just. This was just all as I was listening. I was all these things were connecting. Then, from the question of when does it happen, I ha what kind of crystallized for me was when we go back to the beginning of the conversation on peace. As we were articulating it, we were talking about external peace that exists between multiple human beings. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
But what, but that's completely out of our control. I have zero control over you. Right. Um, you have zero control over me. I, like we have no control over what the people around us will do. The only way, our only access to peace, to wholeness, to shalom, to completeness, to, to right. Then you start to see how the word like starts shifting and other things to rest, to being fulfilled, um, to not living anxious or empty or greedy is internal peace, yeah. internal shalom, internal wholeness. And only when I'm finding shalom, wholeness, peace internally, can I set it with others. Yep. And it's this really beautiful way upon which we set out to make peace outside of us when there's no peace in us. Right. Well, okay. That is a really great transition to the next time that peace is used. Okay. Okay. Um, there are, I think it is used a couple of times throughout Genesis um, in relation to like Abram with other people surrounding him. But um, the next, for me, significant one was in Genesis twenty-eight thirty-one, And this is Jacob, so um, Abraham's got, uh, grandson, um, who has just deceived his father and stolen the blessing from his brother and all this stuff. And he is on the run. What's the verse? Twenty-eight thirty-one. Um, Strange. And we find Jacob using the word shalom after he sees the vision of from God with the angels going up and down the ladder. This is Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. and he names the place Bethel um, because this is surely the house of God. Um, and what he says is, "And if I come back in shalom to my father's house." Um, and I just thought that was interesting that. At this point in Jacob's journey, he does not know if he's ever going to return. And part of that is because, I mean, A, there's reason that his brother might try to kill him if he comes back because of all that has gone down. Yeah. Um, But in addition to that, that his brother might kill him, so there might not be physical peace between the brothers. There is also that piece of his internal peace. Like, he can't return until he gets that internal peace. Hmm. Like that has to be a part of his journey to return. And um, he has a long journey of, ahead of him. And he, when he turns to head home, he won't have that peace quite. But he'll be pretty close to it when he actually meets his brother. Because then he'll wrestle with the God Angel Man um, at the Jalbuk River. <laughs> um, that's a different study for a different day. Um, but... Um, He's kind of constantly seeking peace. And I, by the way, I don't think that Jacob slash Israel is fully at peace ever in his life um, from what we see with his name um, and what's going on there. But he is at a place where peace is possible hmm. when he does return because of the journey he's been on. And, and if, yeah, and if peace is the cessation of tension or conflict, then it's a tricky thing to consider what it means to be an Israelite, to be one who wrestles with right, with God. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I was thinking, like, Jacob might not be fully at peace in his life because there's still this internal struggle, but there is a peace that has been established in him by the point he returns to Esau um, later in the story because he's no longer trying to take things from his brother at this mm-hmm. point. And they, they are able to have peace between brothers right. um, to an extent because there's no more of that grasping and fighting going on. 
Um, hmm. So something is being made whole in him during this part of the journey. Uh, I love, I love, you said being made whole and I heard healing. Yeah. And I keep in life all the time right now, I keep thinking it's not, and this is, I don't know, cliches are cliches for a reason. And, but it's, <laughs> I'm a little like, I don't say it, but this is true. It's, it's the way upon which we go that is ever, ever, ever critical. And we want to, we want destinations. Yeah. And I'm, it's hmm. yeah uh when you were talking about the uh, he will not be he wasn't not at peace not at i kept i, kept, I went back to cain mm-hmm. so when god says um you know what have you done this is genesis 4 10 what have you done your brothers listen shema your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand We've, we've, we've sort of talked about this, like God's not saying, uh, you know, boom, you're cursed, right? Mm -hmm. He's not pointing at him and like, you know, cursing him. He's saying, listen, this is your reality. Mm -hmm. You will no longer, I would, I will interpret this as God saying, you're not gonna be able to look at the ground anymore. You can't farm. You will be unable to farm because every time you go to farm, you're going to see what you did. Your brother's blood is in the dirt and there's dirt everywhere. Yeah. And that's what you, you will, you are cursed you are cursed from it. Yeah, you can't escape it. Right. It's always with you. Right. Yeah. Have you ever read um, uh, A Brevery of Sin by, uh, not the way it's supposed to be, A Brevery of Sin. It's by, um, uh, I got to go to the front cover here real quick. It's by uh, Cornelius Plantinga Jr. Yes, I have read that. So there's this whole bit he does on Shalom that is absolutely um Absolutely fascinating. Can I read it? Yeah. All right. Um, Let's see. And I'll link the book as well as put this quote in there. Uh, As the great writing prophets of the Bible knew sin has a thousand faces and the prophets knew how many ways human life can go wrong because they knew how many ways human life can go right. Mm. Right. You need a concept of a wall on plumb to tell if one is off, a wall is off. The prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish made wise, and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful and benign and fulfilled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood, and all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean towards God, delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in streets and from men on ships. I just love this. And this is the best part. <clears throat> the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. Yeah. Oh, that's good. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than a mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between em- em- enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, mm-hmm. a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gifts fruitfully employed 
a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shalom is, in other words, the way things ought to be. Yes. Oh, amen. Right? Amen. As I'm reading this, I'm like, this is where I get all, like, man, this is like three paragraphs that I go into, like, what's in my source code? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wish he had tagged all of the place, like all of the references. Yeah. Because that's what the prophets are saying. Bless you. Thank you. I thought there was going to be another one. <laughs> okay. Um, I, it's why I, my preferred translation is wholeness, because I think that's the, it's, it's the best word for me um, to encapsulate things being made whole. Um, it entangles physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, um, healing between brother and sister and um, and healing of the world. Um, it were, reading when you were reading that, it reminded me of the whole, the phrase "hurt people hurt people." Yeah, um, which we all know to be true in our lives. When you're, when I'm hurt, and when I'm hurting, I am so much more likely to snap at my family and hurt them back. And of course, this can go, really, this can go way darker than just snapping back at your family and having a bad day. But we've all experienced that hurt people hurt people. Right. The opposite is also true. That whole people heal people. Hmm. And so when when wholeness and healing is a part of your identity and who you are and you actually live that out, you you perpetuate that in the world. I love that. Um, uh, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking, and there's an exception. There is the true human, the yes. second Adam, who actually is the one who is hurt and in his hurt heals and opens up to us right. the, the possibility that when we carry our pain and our hurt and our brokenness in the truly human way, it can be healing. Yeah. Now, it's so hard to do, but we, but right, like we have this, we have this example in Christ who shows us who we, who we are and who we can return yeah. To be, we've been using, um, there's this prayer we've been um, using in how we're, we've been coming to the table, communion, how we've been coming to Eucharist. And it's, I've adapted it from an old prayer called the prayer of humble access, which has some ideas in it. I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable. I'm comfortable with privately. I'm not comfortable with publicly, which basically I mean, I don't think. Uh, our church or a church, it's often good to use because it comes with some language. Like we're not worthy for even the scraps under your table, which like, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but right. Like, okay. But there's this line that we've got in this prayer. Um, Grant that our broken lives may be healed in Christ's body broken for us. Yeah. Th- this is what it means to come to the table. This is what it means to f- to follow Christ. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. It means to, let our hurts be transformed into healing things and not to go too far out of our way here. But when we see Jesus back, when we see resurrected Jesus in John 20, the wounds are there. They're open and present enough Mm -hmm. for Thomas to stick his hands in. And Jesus isn't back with a vengeance. Right. He's he's not going to set peace upon the earth by shoving Pilate and the leaders and everyone underneath his foot like we would. But instead, all of the things of war, as Isaiah said, 
are the 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 guns and the swords are turned into farming equipment yeah. and the yeah. boots and the and the armor are burned up in a fire right well and i think that's cuz because jesus even though he is hurt by the world and their actions and choices he he is living from a place of wholeness and shalom and that's why he's able to offer it to others because he's right. he's i don't want to say he's not impacted by the hurt cuz he obviously is but it's not it's not jading him. It's not turning him against the world because he's God. It's like he's he embodies this shalom, yeah. this wholeness. When we get that name that he's given in the great Isaiah stuff from Christmas, from Advent. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. peace. And then the yep. increase of his government and peace will not it, it will not be stopped, ceased, right. capped. Yeah. Right. So it's beautiful that, the, like, he's the prince of shalom. Right. And not like a title, like we were just the coronation of uh, Charles III, but which he doesn't have to do any. He doesn't have to live. He's king whether he lives into it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And who 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 amongst us knows what it means to be a king anymore? But we sure do know that Jesus lives into being the prince of peace. Right. Right. And, go do and, it. No, so I want to go back to Genesis because we have <laughs> we have a great example that helps us flesh out that word within Genesis, so that by the time we get to Numbers, we know we know a little more what Shalom is. Sure. Because at this point, like they don't have that full picture of Jesus that we get. Um, and so for them, one of their best examples is Joseph, mm. and um who's one of the more Christ-like figures in in, in the Old Testament. Um, and in, within his story, I found um, the word shalom appears seven times, wow. which seven is the number of perfection and completeness in Hebrew. So uh, not a coincidence, probably, that it appears seven times. Mm. Um, and it's the story of brothers. Yeah. Um, Where which, did you start counting? Thirty-seven four. Okay, so you start where Jacob sends him to see. Mm-hmm, it's right before that. Okay. So it's actually so um, it's about his brothers. So his brothers couldn't say a kind word to him. That word kind is shalom. Um, so I think it gets translated this way because in English it's really clunky to say they couldn't say a peace word to him. Like that doesn't really it doesn't work in English. It doesn't. You have to play with the language a little bit. So it couldn't. Oh, I couldn't say a kind word to him. That works. Um, but I like to read it as they could not speak to him in peace or they could not speak peace over him. Um, the word over is not actually there, but it's, for me, it has this, mm. the, this idea that they, they couldn't speak to his wholeness. They didn't want his wholeness. They wanted something else for him. Well, right. Like speak a kind word to him implies that they're still speaking to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is not great. When you can't say, but there is a there is a thing that is more deathly, and that is you can't wish you can't even talk to somebody. Yeah, you 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 don't even want you don't even want good for them. Right. So and you ignore them. Yeah. You, you, I mean. Yeah, mm. like that's that's how his brothers are acting towards him. He's already dead to them. Right. That's they, that's what yeah, I hear. He's yeah. already dead to them. Yeah, they can't speak to his wholeness. They don't they don't want wholeness for him. Which is why they can put him throw him in a pit without a problem because he's right. already dead right 
So then in that same chapter, just 10 verses later, Jacob, Israel, the father, mm. sends Joseph to look into the well-being or the peace of his brothers. So really how the Hebrew reads is see to the shalom of your brothers. So we've just been told 10 verses earlier that they can't speak a peace word to him. They can't speak a, a shalom word to him. But he's sent as the youngest brother at this point to go out and see to their shalom, knowing that they can't see to his. We've already been told this in the story, right? Um, so see to the shalom of your brothers. See to their wholeness when they can't see to yours. Um, and what they do is seek to kill him. But then they settle with selling him to slavery. It's, you know, slightly better, I suppose. Um, and then we move forward in the story. And there's a reference in 41.16 regarding Pharaoh's wholeness and God speaking to Pharaoh's wholeness. Uh, when Joseph comes to interpret his dream. And then moving along in 43, 23 through 28, we have it three times in just five verses. Um, and this is the, none of this is mentioned the first time his brothers come. So they come and he sends them out and tells them to return with his youngest brother, Benjamin, who is the only fully biological sibling of Joseph um, from both mother and father. Um, and when they come back with Benjamin, now the word shalom appears three times. Um, the first is in verse 23, and it says, um, let's see, let me pull it up. Oh, it was already there. Um, he said, it is well with you, or it is shalom with you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, placed a treasure in your packs for you. Your silver has come into me. Um, this is referencing because he had sent them back with the money that they had brought the first time, and they were all freaked out that they were going to be killed when they came back because they had stolen. Joseph's brothers can't stand him. Yep. He goes to see them on behalf of his father. He says, go see the shalom of your brothers. They throw him into a pit, which yep. is an empty well, which they throw him into a pit. They tear the coat up. They sell him to some... Egyptians are from Ishmaelites. He ends up in Egypt. Um, he gets sold to Potiphar. He has an interaction with Potiphar's wife, who, yep. and he ends up in jail, another pit. This time it's a civil pit, not just out in the wilderness. There's some um, Pharaoh's servants who end up in jail with him. He interprets some ge yep. dreams. Eventually, Pharaoh calls him because Pharaoh has dreams about famine and about feasting and... Joseph can interpret, so Pharaoh elevates him to the second yep. in the land, and Joseph's brothers are experiencing, his family's experiencing famine many, many years later. Yeah, right? many, many years later. Right, yeah. so they come to Egypt, who has this wise ruler that has 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 saved up, yeah. has, has prepared for this famine, not knowing they're coming to their brother looking for provision. Right, yeah. There's no way that they could even imagine that their brother would be in this position. Right. Thanks for giving that summary because I could have yeah. skipped no, no. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I could have sang it, you yeah. know, way, way back many <laughs> centuries ago. <laughs> um, Do we have to pay Andrew Lightweber for that? Or I don't know. I think I did a short enough bit. <laughs> but um, we <laughs> close every door to me. Uh, I love that you know that. Okay. Um, I could sing the whole thing. 
so Joseph is now in a position of great power. And if he is, if he wants to live out his hurt, you know, he could be like, bring my, bring your father and my brother who've done nothing wrong back. And then I'm going to throw the rest of y'all in jail. Okay. I would sell you the yeah. slavery. Like I could get back. Like I am now in a position where I could get back at you. Vengeance is mine, says the second in command of Pharaoh. Right. Yeah. I mean, he could have, right? Absolutely. In fact, later he does. He's like, yeah. seize them. Yeah. I mean, he, he has the power and authority to do this now to get back at them for what they did. And yeah. and they would deserve it. I mean, from the from earthly standards, they absolutely would deserve this, right? And um, ah. it's kind of interesting because the first time he sends them out with the silver back in their packs, like they, they mention him. They're like, this is... This is justice kind of for what we did. They're like, we're getting... Okay. Like, I think, uh, where's the verse? I can't... Um, they say, we are guilty concerning our brother that we saw that we saw his heart's distress when he implored us and we did not listen. And therefore, this distress has come upon us. So they are actually recognizing that they are... They're angst in this moment of like, we're going to get it from this Pharaoh's, like Pharaoh's man because we had these the silver in here like this is because of what we did to our brother which is funny because it, it actually is like that's why the silver they're, was back in there but yet it, it, they're going to be surprised by their punishment for it or their yeah if, their consequence for it because there's going to be forgiveness i'm going and, back I, oh sorry yeah no go i'm going back to the shalom thing the peace thing the wholeness thing they're clearly not at peace no they're haunted by what they've done. Just like Cain. Just like Cain. And and Joseph, see, this is what I think is super interesting. Joseph is also not at peace, but he's not not at peace. Does that make sense? Yeah. He has he has he has done something with his pain. He's carried it in such a way where at this moment he's not a tyrant. Right. Um even though it, it, He's not letting them walk all over. Like, right. there's a test and there's some things that are going on right. here. Sometimes it looks like he's being a little bit like, you couldn't just tell him you're the brother and, like, bring everyone back and I forgive you. He wants, similarly to how God responds to Cain and to Adam and Eve in the garden and just outside the garden, is he's giving them an opportunity right. to to see fully what they've done. Right. It's cheap grace or or not, or we call it mercy, but, like, um, cr- we, th- there's this idea that we should let people continue to abuse us and harm us if we follow Jesus. And that's not what Jesus, like when Jesus mm-hmm. allows people to hurt and harm him, uh, I don't know what's going on in his mind, but right. it appears to me that there's more going on here than I can't, I can't resist power. Right. Right. Like the idea of like turning the other cheek is the idea of resistance. It's the idea of like forcing them to confront who they are. When they try to make you do go a mile and carry their stuff, you go two. You show them by how you act how unjust and terrible they're being. You confront you let their villainy confront them. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. And I love here that we've got we've got two people who aren't at peace and in different ways. Joseph it seem would seem to me is internally at peace though he still has peace to make in the world around him, right? Like not all things have yet been settled, which will never be in our lives. All things will never be settled. I will never be done. You will never be done. We will never be done making peace. But we can always be ready to make it. 
we can be ready to be healers, wounded healers. And to do that, we've got to, we've got to go back to where we started. We've got to let God set for us wholeness and peace and completeness and the place that in us. And there was one other thing you said, um, see to their wholeness if they can't see to yours. And that's what we keep seeing Joseph do. Right. Well, yeah, that's the, I mean, so they, when they come, he says, don't worry, all is well. Like the silver's not a problem. And then in 27 and 28, he then asks them about their shalom. He asked after their shalom and said, how is your father, old father well, of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, yes, your servant, our father is shalom. He is still alive. Mm-hmm. So his, we now know that his father is living in wholeness, at mm-hmm. least to some extent. Um, even though we know he's not at complete peace because he's still distressed about the fact that his son is dead. He doesn't right. know that he's alive. Um, but like here they come to him all these years later after selling him to slavery. And his his question to them is asking about their, shal- their shalom. So he's here in verse 27, who knows how many years later, he is still doing the thing that his father sent him to do in the mm-hmm. first place after all that they did to him. I mean, he's not, nobody thus far in scripture has had it as bad as Joseph. And very few of us in life will have anything that even comes close to how bad Joseph's life has been. And yes, he's in a position of authority right now, but I mean, he was ripped away from everything he knew. He was thrown in a pit, almost killed. He was sold into slavery, then put in prison. And and just how many bad things can happen to this kid? Right. And at the hands of his brothers, because they couldn't see to his shalom, and yet he's still seen to theirs. And, you know, he ultimately reveals himself to his brothers. Um, and then we have this, um, we have the conclusion of it. Yeah, are you going to read that? Um, I am. So we get the whole story about how the brothers end up settled in Egypt. And then when you get to Exodus. Um, oh, you skipped something, though. Oh, do you want me, what did you want me to not skip? Um, what he says to his brothers after the father's pa- yeah, after his ahead. father passes away. Oh, that what you meant for evil, or yeah. what you meant for... What you meant for evil, uh, what is it, it's 50... Yeah. 18, do not be afraid, mm-hmm. uh, 19, 50, uh, do not be afraid, am I in the place of God, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous, yeah. uh, a numerous, where is it? Numerous, numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he <gasps> reassured them, speaking uh, kindly to them. He nachams them. He comforts them. Mm-hmm. I was like, is he going to say shalom? Oh my goodness, is he going to say shalom? doesn't look like he did. Yeah. That's fine. I don't um, need to. Yeah. So there's that, and then I'm, I'm going to flip to Exodus. So this is many, many, many years later. Um, well, actually, no, it's not. It, we get Exodus. So it's a different scroll, but it the story is just a continuation. So it starts Exodus 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel coming to Egypt. So this is who came with Jacob. Um, And then in verse 5, it says, So all the persons, those issuing from Yaakov's lines or Jacob's lines, were 70 persons. Hmm. Joseph was already in Egypt. So um, 
but there's a really fun thing that happens in the language here because it actually says 70 souls, but it is in the, the singular. Hmm. And so there's a way that because of the peace that's been brought by Joseph, the family is whole. So even though they're individual people, there's a way that they're all one. And this is the transition point in scripture from when we are talking about one family, the family of Abraham, to when we're talking about an entire people group who are going to get brought out of Egypt. So because healing and shalom and peace um, happen, because Joseph does what Cain couldn't. Right. Um, when that, this, By the way, this is how that it answered that question of, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. You are, and that's the answer, the, the question that Genesis answers, among others. But right. that's a primary theme that runs throughout, that there's all this brotherly angst going on throughout Genesis. And then in the very end, we have the brother who actually does see hmm. to the wholeness of his brothers. He recognizes that he is his brother's keeper. Hmm. And once that happens, there's resolution, there's wholeness, there's peace, there's shalom in the family. And now they can move forward into being a nation that then is going to be asked to do the same thing so that it can then goes to the world. Like there's this, yeah. these like centric, uh, concentric, concentric, thank yeah. you, circles that are happening here. It starts in Genesis and moves out to Exodus, which eventually moves out to Jesus yeah. and the whole world. Oh. I mean, and that conversation continues in Exodus where Moses and Pharaoh, who are, who are brothers. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right? And yeah. And you have you have that conversation continue. Can two brothers see each other? Right. Mm, that's great. Wow. I think um, that that phrase you said. Can you see their wholeness if they can't see to yours? Which is a very gospel um, Christ, right? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke. Like this is the huge question, but it's but it doesn't start there. It starts back in Genesis, and so so many of the things that Jesus says that the gospel writers say that Paul say they're not. It's not original, right? Um, they it did not originate in them, and it 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 doesn't even really actually originate in any. I would say in any human, what it originates in is the divine image that we all carry, that we're yeah. all made in. That we have covered up with, um, with dirt and um, selfishness and right. greed and coveting, yeah. and uh, un—I would say—even um, ideas. Sometimes our ideas of peace cover it up, right? Like, how many people do you know who are like, just it's fine, just shove it down. Like, peace is no conflict. Yeah. To the tune of like ruining your soul, yeah. like like choking out your life. I've heard um, some, I do not know who to, who to qu- or give credit to for this, but that there's a difference between peacekeeping and yeah. peacemaking. And you can keep the peace hmm. on the outside and be dying inside because there's actually not peace. You're just, peacekeeping is a, um, an outward like reflection like oh it looks like everything's peaceful so like my kids might not be fighting in the back seat on a road trip right when they were little or whatever but they're still sitting there like at each other they're not at peace right but there's an appearance of peace right that is being kept yep. in order to appease the parents or the situation or to make sure that they get ice cream with their dessert or right with, with, uh, and with it's better dinner. than the screaming 
Right. But it's not an internal peace, whereas peacemaking actually might, you might have to enter into conflict right, and actually fully deal with it. You might have to send your brothers home with the bag of, the bags of silver and create some angst for them so that when they return, there's actually an opportunity for peace because they've dealt with their crap. Yeah. Uh, the I th- the preferred term, at least it was last year. I, th- I think the preferred term isn't even making anymore. Okay, it's peace building. Oh, um, be- yeah. Because right, like what what is what can get missed in peacemaking is it's you're either making it or you're not. It's like what does it actually mean? Well, like building reminds us that we have to do foundational work. We have to address all of these things that right. come with building a thing. There's all these. It's what it brings in there. And just shameless plug. Um, St. Stephen's University in Canada, the Institute of Religion, Peace, and Justice. Last two years ago, last year, um, I I did a year long course for a graduate um, certificate in religion, peace, and justice. And learning how to be a peace builder is a huge part of this. And I think, especially for people who take seriously the call, the invitation, the the restoring of of being true humans, that recognizing that we are peace built, like to be to be little Christs are to be peace builders. Right. You can't you can't do it yeah. without that. So anyways, IRPJ, Institute of Religion, Peace and Justice, it's great. Yeah. It's very inexpensive and reasonable. They are not sending us any sort of <laughs> And there's a thing that you said way earlier that this all dovetails back into is I think the problem, the thing that's missing in most of our pursuits of peace and why we don't see it is we don't take serious the considerations of justice. Yeah. Right. Like you, justice is the thing that shalom and wholeness needs. And if you don't have, right, it doesn't, you, if you don't have, you don't have it. Right. And if we try to do all these things without a sense of justice, because, and we see that in the Joseph story, right? Joseph doesn't just, listen, Joseph doesn't just um, forgive them or, or forgive them and restore them. Right, he meets them with questions and discernment about how he's going to respond to them. He's not like, "It's me, brothers." Right? He doesn't. So often we think that when we get to these places where we have to reconcile or restore or forgive with each other, we have to. And if we just keep it in the Joseph story, right? Joseph's brothers shove him in a pit. Joseph's life. Joseph's life takes this unexpected turn towards like he he was once a prisoner, now he's a prince. Right. And so when he sees his brother. Brothers, we might think just fast forward to fifty nineteen, where he says, "But you meant for evil, God meant for good, right?" He doesn't like they come up to Egypt for food, hungry, and he's not like brothers. Look at look at the good thing your villainy wrought. Yeah, he, he doesn't say that. He's he knows there's something else that has to happen first, right? Which is he needs to see what they've done with their guilt, or what they will do with their guilt, who they will be with their injustice, with their hatred. Yeah. Because you don't heal somebody by letting, this is my, you don't heal somebody by letting them off the hook. Right. If you let some, if some, now that doesn't mean you aren't merciful. It doesn't mean you don't get, you aren't generous. It doesn't mean you aren't gracious. But when you let somebody off the hook, there's things that need to happen. Right. This feels like I went into dicey territory. Yeah. Did I? I mean. Does it feel dicey to you? No. No, I mean, I think it's when you when you talked about the peace building. Um, well, it reminded me of Lego, 
like of building it's it's piece by piece you don't just say voila there's an entirely built lego right structure it has to be done piece by piece it takes time it takes patience it takes sometimes searching for the where is that piece that it needs to go in here um hmm. yeah and and it's not easy work it's not overnight work um it takes time and it takes paying attention. And, yeah. And the only way you can do it is if you're at peace. If you're unanxious, if you're not needing to be proven to be right or to be with, right, you have to sit. In order to make peace, you have to have it yourself. Right. And it has to be durable. It has to be sturdy within you. Right. And and sometimes it's messy. Yep. And sometimes oh there's gosh. disruption before there's peace. All of this goes back to where you... Like you seeded this conversation on peace, on shalom, in the story of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I think all of this returns to this question that Joseph Joseph's answer, this question Joseph answers, or this mission, you could almost say <clears throat> Joseph's on, or maybe mission sounds too intentional, this trajectory of his life, mm-hmm. right? The trajectory of his life being Genesis 37, 4, his brothers couldn't speak peace to him. They couldn't speak shalom to him. And then his father sends him, and you know his dad's aware of this. I mean, have, speaking a favorite is foolish, uh, but even more, I mean, trusting and insightful maybe, but also high risk. Is sending the favored one mm-hmm. to the ones that can't speak a kind, peaceful shalom to him. And, right, so you've got the one who can't be, it, it's just, it's it's so good to set peace in the story of Joseph and watch the trajectory unfold. Every time the word shows up, notice it, notice what it's doing. And, and if there's a spot where you notice it and it's like, I don't know what it's doing there, that's okay. You just keep right, you just keep going and it gets filled in later and later being five minutes later, five verses later, or five years later. Sometimes there's pieces in the text that don't make sense to us for a while and we don't light them on fire and forget about it. But like, anyways, you've seeded the conversation on peace and wholeness in, in Joseph and the the setup is you you are seeking... The shalom, the wholeness, the completeness. What's the word you like? The wholeness. Is it wholeness? Yeah. yeah. In, 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 and for those who can't seek it. Yeah. For you. Yeah. And then it ends with because God is always doing good things, um, even in our brokenness, even in the ways we are not maybe always in the right. Yeah. Or not, and it's and there's justice and there's and there's healing. And there's, it's just a perfect place to put the story, the conversation about peace. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. That's good.